Amen. Well, I got a confession this morning. As I told you, I've kind of been a little bit out of touch. I really felt out of touch last week. For some reason, I just couldn't connect, you know. And uh, even being out of touch, most of the time, God will give me the uh, kind of a discernment of what is happening on Sunday morning. I sort of have a feel of the atmosphere in the service. Last Sunday, I was just in a fog, and I don't know what it was. I just uh, I, I equated it to the fact that I, I've just been so busy that I haven't spent enough time with the Lord. You know, and and because of that, God, guys, I got to tell you, God really convicted me this week. Um, I spent some time at this altar, just saying, God, we, I'm going to work on this. I'm going to get, I want to get, not back to the place where I, the best place. How many of you've had a real place in your life where it was the best place that you've ever had with Jesus? You know, you can think about that time where it was like, man. I remember when I first received the baptism of the Spirit, it was like I was living and walking in a bubble. And it was just filled with the presence of God. There was nothing there but purity and power. And I can remember walking on my grandmother's farm, Jeannie and I, because we we, that was the day I asked her to marry me, by the way. We were walking up the driveway. It's a 350-acre farm in Burkeville, my grandmother's farm. And we were walking up this hill, and it was, it was just like I could have just walked right on into the heavens. It was just so much of a glory cloud. Those are the kind of things I'm talking about. I want to get, I don't want to just get back to that. I want to go beyond that. Guys, I want to have a relationship with Jesus that's growing and growing and growing. How about you? I, I mean that. And so I said, Lord, I'm going to work on that. So God convicted me. And I, I was thinking about that this week. That's a good thing. Being convicted by the Holy Spirit is a good thing. And so I, one of the prayers that I prayed, and I actually pulled that scripture out today because I wanted to open with that, is create in me a clean heart, O oh God. Renew a right spirit in me. Because sometimes, church, we can drift away from God and our spirit is not right. And that is a prayer I pray frequently. That comes out of Psalms 51. If you want to find your place there, Psalms 51 David has actually written this psalm after he has been approached by the prophet Nathan because of the sin he committed with Bathsheba when he took another man's wife and had the man murdered and he thought he had it all covered up and Nathan the prophet came to him and says, Thou art the man, David. And this is the prayer that David prayed after that. Verse 1, he says, Have mercy upon me, O God, according to your loving kindness. Aren't you glad he's loving and kind? Whoa. According to the multitude of your tender mercies, blot out my transgression. Man, aren't you glad we've got a God that blots it out? Now, God uses a lot more ink on some of you than he does others. Come on. <laughs> Amen? But he blots it out. Sometimes people say, well, I don't know how to pray. Brother, there is not a more powerful prayer you can pray than just pray the word. I like to pray Psalms 21 also sometimes. It says, uh, unto thee, O God. He says, I don't know. Uh, he says, to you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. O my God, I trust in you. Let me not be ashamed. Let not my enemies triumph over me. Remember, you used to sing that in youth group. Yes. Unto thee, O Lord, do I lift up my soul. Unto thee, O Lord, do I lift up my soul. O my God, I will trust in thee. Let me not be ashamed. Let not my enemies triumph over me. It's just a scripture we put to a song. If you don't know what to pray, just pray the word. Yeah. Amen? He goes on and says in verse 2, Wash me thoroughly from my iniquities and cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgression, and my sin is always before me. Everybody say conviction. Brother, we need to, when you're slipping, you need that right here. God, I pray my sin will always be before me. I want the conviction in my life. He says, against you and you only have I sinned and done this evil in your sight. That you may be found just when you speak and blameless when you judge. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin my mother conceived me. Everybody say sin sickness. sin sickness. 
You're born with a sickness, with a disease. It's called sin, and it's going to kill you. Then he goes on and says in verse 6, Behold, you desire truth in the inward parts, and in the hidden parts you will make me to know wisdom. Everybody say revelation knowledge. Inside of you, God will let you know what is right and what is wrong. He told Peter, he said, who do men say I, the son of man, am? They said, well, some say you're Elijah. Some say you're uh, uh, Jeremiah or one of the other prophets. I forget who the prophets were. <laughs> he said, well, who do you say that I am? Peter said, you are, the, you are the Christ. You're the son of the living God. He said, blessed are thou, Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood hath not revealed to this to you, but my Father which is in heaven. And then he goes on and says, you'll be called the rock. He says, and upon this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. What he was talking about is that revelation knowledge that God just gave you, that's what I'm going to build my church on. God will reveal who he is in your inwardmost parts. Verse 7, he said, purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me hear joy and gladness that the bones you have broken. Aren't you glad God will break you? <laughs> you ought to be glad of that. A horse that's out here unbroken is good to nobody. You hook a plow to an unbroken horse and he's going to bust everything you hook up to him. You've got to break him before you can use him. The, the, that you, what you have broken. Verse 9 says, hide your face from my sin and blot out all my iniquities. Clean, create in me a clean heart, O God. And renew a steadfast spirit in me, the new King James says. Verse 11, do not cast me away from your presence. And do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. And uphold me by your generous spirit. Aren't you glad that when you slip away, God can restore you back to where you belong? Everybody say restoration. Restoration. Verse 13, he says, Then I will teach transgressors your ways, and sinners shall be converted to you. Everybody say evangelism. evangelism. Verse 14 says, Deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed, O God, the God of my salvation, and my tongue shall sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips, and my mouth shall show forth your praise. Everybody say worship. Verse 16, for you do not despise sacrifice or else I would give it. No, you do not desire sacrifice, I'm sorry, or else I would give it. You do not delight in burnt offerings. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite spirit. These, O oh God, you will not despise. Everybody say discipleship. Now, what I'm pointing out to you is in this passage of Scripture, we can see the seven-point plan for the believer from start to finish. In that prayer, we see God's plan. We see conviction. He says, I acknowledge my transgression. My sin is ever before me. I see the sin sickness. I was brought forth into iniquity. My sin is, I was conceived in sin. We see the revelation knowledge. I'm going to know you in my inward parts. We see the restoration where he says, create in me a clean heart. Restore the joy of my salvation. We see evangelism. Then I will teach transgressors their ways and sinners will be converted to you. We see worship. O Lord, open my lips and my mouth shall give, bring forth praise. And we see discipleship. God wants to bring a broken and contrite spirit in you and that's what he will not turn away or he will not despise. Full plan that God has for you can be seen in that prayer. Isn't that an awesome prayer? It's a prayer well worth studying. So I pray that a lot. God created me a clean heart, God. Renew a right spirit in me, Lord. Because all of us, church, we, we drift from time to time. We slip away, and if we're not careful, and I mean careful, the Bible says be vigilant. Be vigilant, for your enemy is roaming to and fro, seeking whom he made his out. That's you. He's looking to see if I can devour you or you or you and you. And if you're not vigilant, if you're not watching, he will slip in, and you won't even see him coming. You won't even know he's there. And he'll be eating you from the inside out, and you won't even know it. So we need to be, be aware of these things. Now, all seven points are there, but I'm going to focus on simply one point this morning, and it's the one that the Lord 
brought to my attention this week. I want to talk about conviction. Being convicted. Let's pray. Father, you convicted my heart this week, Lord. You've shown me, God, I've been too busy, Lord, and I've, I, I've neglected my uh, Bible study like I, I, I should be doing, God, my prayer time. Other things have taken my attention, Lord, and for that I repent, God. And I ask you, Lord, to forgive me, God, and I pledge, God, to get back on track, Lord. I want to get closer to you than I've ever been before. So, Father, I pray that, God, as other people see me confess as the spiritual headship of this ministry, Lord, May it encourage them, Lord, that, that you can work in everyone's life. God, your loving kindness and your mercy endures forever, Lord. And you are constantly drawing us and wanting us to come back to you. So, Lord, I pray that in all of us you create a clean heart, God. And you renew a right spirit in us all, Lord, that we can bring pleasure to you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. <clears throat> God, the life that we are living, it's a test. This is a test. And if you get it wrong, you get it wrong for eternity. And so it's important that we get this right. Fulfilling God's will in your life will affect your, your eternity. Now, it's not a question to the believer where we will spend eternity. The question is how will you spend eternity? Because all of us are going to be judged by God. And you're not only going to be judged on what you've done. But you're going to be judged in light of what God's will for your life is. Did you hear that? I want to say that again. God's not going to just judge you because of what you've done. But he's going to judge you in light of what his will is for your life. Because a lot of us were doing this and doing that and doing the other thing. But is that what God is willing for us to do? Or do we just go to a certain place and that's easy to do, that's fun to do, I don't mind doing that, so I'll do that. But really, this is what I ought to be doing over here. And when we stand before God, he's like, well, you did this, this, and that, and that, but did you do what I asked you to do? Because that's what I'm going to judge you on. Are you seeking my will or are you seeking your own will? Whoa, that's good stuff right there now. You need to think about that because that's what we're going to be judged for. When I was in Bible college, they brought in a, a pastor, and I, this is, it impacted my life. I, I, I think about this often. His name was Rick Howard. He was a pastor of an Assembly of God church in Red Oak, California. And he, had a, he, he told this story. In fact, he wrote a book about it. Much of his ministry was centered around this experience in his life. He had a good Baptist friend that would come in. They were the best of friends, and they would sit toe-to-toe across the table, and they would they would reason to, with each other over the scripture. And they loved each other. They didn't agree on every point, but they would pour over the scriptures and they were trying to win each other to their way of thinking, you know. And he said, I had a great respect for that man because he had such a humble heart. He said, I can remember seeing him standing on the streets in California, wherever it was at, Red Oak there, or wherever they, I don't remember exactly where he said, but he said, I remember seeing him standing on the street with tears running down his face, witnessing the people on the street. This man loved the Lord. He loved people. You know, and he said, I remember I was, the day I was in my office, and he knocked on my door. He came in, walked up behind me. He says, Rick, have you ever thought about the judgment seat of Christ? And he said, I sort of flipped off and answered. He's like, yeah, yeah, I've thought about it. And he said, I turned around, and I looked. I could see the look on his face, and I could see the sincerity in what he was saying to me. And so I turned around, and he began to walk me through the scriptures, he said. And what he showed me in scripture so troubled me that I called my secretary. I said, cancel all of my appointments. And he said, I just went. I, I rented a motel room. I got by myself, and I lay on the bed with my Bible, and I poured over those scriptures. And he said, after three days of that, he said, I lay down on the bed, and he said, <clears throat> I don't know if I fell asleep or whatever or into a trance. He said, but I had a vision. He said, now, in this vision, he said, what I saw was a sea of people as far as the eye could see. And he said that there was a sound in that sea of people, a sound of wailing and weeping and crying and mournful sorrow. And there was also a sound of jubilant praise and excitement and joy and happiness. And said they clashed together like two giant cymbals. 
He said, in the midst of that sea of people, I saw a man. His hair was white like snow. His eyes were like fire. Around his loin, was, he was girded with a golden girdle, and he was in a robe down to his feet. His feet were like polished brass, and in his hand, he held a torch. And what he described was the revelation description, the book of Revelation of Jesus Christ, and said he walked in the midst of the sea of people. And he said he walked up to a person. He said, I only recognize two people in this vision. One of them was a fellow Bible college student that I, I, Rick said is a man that I went to Bible college with. And he said he had a call on his life to go into the ministry. But he fell in love with a, with a girl there in the college, and, she, and, and he wanted to marry her. And he, he proposed to her, and she said, I will marry you under one condition that you do not go into the ministry. I will not be married to a pastor. And he said, I remember sitting in the front seat of my 1956 Chevrolet car, <laughs> pleading with my friend not to turn his back on the call of God. He said, but he did turn away from God. He walked away from the call of God, married this lady, never went into the ministry. And apparently at this time, <clears throat> his friend had died. I'm not really sure. Rick was an older man at this time. And he said, in the vision, I saw him. He didn't call his name. I don't know who this man was. And he wouldn't have given his name and shouldn't have. But in this vision, he said, I saw Jesus walk up in front of him. And he called his name and said, at his feet fell a pile of wood, hay, and stubble. And Jesus touched the torch to it, and it was consumed. In an instant, and said, nothing remained but a black charred ring. And said, he began to weep and wail and mournfully cry before the Lord because he had nothing to offer God. He said, the second person I saw was a little old grandma lady that went to my dad's church all my youth, through my youth and my childhood. Said, I, I didn't know her name. All I knew her name was Granny Shifford. And he said, Granny Shifford would would sit sometimes towards the middle, towards the back of the church, and, or sometimes towards the, about halfway back, he said, and said, every Sunday without fail, she would come by and says, Ricky, I pray for you every day. You will be a mighty man of God someday. He said, there wasn't a Sunday past that she didn't tell me that. And he said, towards the end of her life, she had dementia. And she was completely blind. And she was an older woman, he said. And I'd, by this time, I'd gone into the ministry, and I'd come home to visit. And my, uh, my family told me that Granny Shifford is dying. If you want to see her, you need to go see her because she's in the final stages of her life. And said, I went to her house, and her daughter answered the door. And every day, her daughter would get her up, and she would dress her, and she would take her in and set her in a rocking chair and put a big Bible in her lap and said she would just rocking the rocking chair with that Bible in her lap, completely blind. She didn't know her own daughter. She didn't know anybody. She was completely uh, uh, suffering from dementia. And he said, when I stepped into the house, she was in the other room, a blind woman out of her mind. She stopped rocking. And she said, Ricky, is that you, son? I pray for you every day. You will be a mighty man of God someday. He said she had bore witness to that testimony so long that it broke through the restraints of this natural body and bore witness to that testimony one more time. He said, in the vision, I saw Granny Shifford, and Jesus walked up to her, and he said, Nina Shifford. He said, I didn't know her name. Years after that vision, he said, I went and said, what was Granny Shifford's name? And see, he knew this was God because he didn't know her name. And they said, her name is Nina. We just always called her Granny Shifford. And it said in the vision, he said, Nina Shifford. And said, at her feet fell a pile of wood, hay, and stubble. And said, Jesus touched it, and it was consumed in an instant. He said, then fell a goodly pile of gold and silver and precious stones. Said, she knelt down. And she pushed it to the feet of Jesus. Then she stood up and began to just praise and worship the Lord. 
Folks, what that describes is the judgment seat of Christ where you will stand and where I will stand. The Bible says our works will be like wood, hay, and stubble. They'll be like gold and silver and precious stones. What we have to offer to Jesus is going to depend on how much you, how diligent you were to fulfill the will of God in your life. What is God telling you to do? How sincere are you? How vigilant are you in your walk in life? It tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse, uh, verse 6. Let's look at verse 6. So we are always confident, knowing that while we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord. For we walk by faith and not by sight. We are confident, yes, well-pleasing, rather to be absent from the body and to be in the presence of the Lord. Therefore, we make it our aim, whether present or absent, to be well-pleasing to him. Verse 10, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that each one may receive the things done in his body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. Knowing, therefore, the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. But we are well known to God, and I also trust are well known in your conscience. Hebrews 10, verse 30 and 31 says, For we know him that hath said, Vengeance belongs unto me. I will recompense, saith the Lord. And again, the Lord shall judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Church, I'm telling you something. We are Christians. It's not a question of where we will spend eternity. It's a question of how we will spend it. Knowing and fulfilling the will of God will determine how you spend eternity. And it is the most critical thing in your Christian walk is to know the will of God and to fulfill it. Are you hearing me say amen? Now, it's a terrible thing for a person to reject Jesus Christ and to be eternally separated from God in a place that wasn't even created for man. It was created for Satan and his angels. I'm talking about hell, a place of torment. No description in the Bible about that place is good. It's where the worm dieth not, where there's weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth, outer darkness. And, and I've thought about those things. Get in a pitch dark room where you can't see anything and something brushes up against you and you don't know what it is. Can you imagine the horror and the fear of that? And then something bites you and something bites you here and something bites you there for eternity. Nothing about this is good. And it should scare the bejeebies out of people. That's a terrible thing. It's a sad thing for those who have failed the Lord, have failed to hear his voice, obey his command, fulfill the will of God in your life, and to fail him, and to stand before the terror of God. The Bible says it's a fearful thing. That song, what will it be like when we get to heaven? I know what it will be like. We will be terrified. That's what the Bible says. It's a fearful thing to stand before the living God. But even worse than that, boy, what happened with this sound thing? Whew. Okay, I'm going to keep going. Are you all right out there? I'm not blowing you out the back door. I'm, it sounds really loud. Worst of all are those who will be ordered out of heaven because they were deceived. They thought everything was good. They thought their heart was right with God, but they were deceived. And he will cast them out. The apostle Paul says, I buffet my body to keep it under subjection, lest I preach to you and I myself become a castaway, thrown out. I can't think of anything worse than that. Some guy that just says, I don't believe in God and he goes to hell, he deserved it. A guy that's really trying to serve the Lord, but you just don't me measure up to the fullness of what God has for you. He makes it in, but he's not going to get the blessing of the Lord. He's going to be weeping and wailing. The Bible says they'll wipe away tears in heaven. Do you understand? What, how do tears get there? Those are bad scenarios. But the guy that thought he's going to make it in, I heard one pastor said he saw a vision of a sea of people standing at the gates of heaven thinking they're going to get in and hearing Jesus, seeing Jesus. He said, he's, I saw Jesus walk outside the gate and say, I don't know you. 
and go back in and shut the door and leave them standing outside. That, that's the worst of all. In, in my mind, that's the worst of all because they're going to the same place as the guy that denied Christ. The title of the message this morning, I'm calling it Spiritual Leprosy. Now, leprosy, everybody knows what that is. It's a disease that affects your body, that you have parts of your body rot, and it, they fall off, and it's, it, there's open lesions and infection, and it's just a horrible, horrible, horrible disease. We see it all through the Old and the New Testament. And leprosy is actually... The, the, the thing you need to understand the most about that disease, what it affects the most in your body, is it, it uh, affects the nervous system so that you are not able to feel pain. It starts out, leprosy starts out very small in the body. You don't even notice it. People will get a little rash or they get a little bump or something or they're starting to notice a little swelling in their earlobes and different things. They're starting to get numbness and if it goes untreated, it gets worse and worse, and it spreads until it spreads through the whole body, and eventually, untreated, it will kill you. Parts of the body will fall off. Infection will spread through your body. And this happens because they don't feel pain. If you lay your hand on a red-hot stove and you don't know it's red-hot, it's burning your hand off, it's going to... It's going to cause it to get infected. If you smash your hand or you cut yourself and you don't know that you've been cut, then infection can get in that. And that's actually what happens with lepers. It's not so much the disease itself that kills them, but it's the, the injuries that they incur because they have no feeling in their body. And they're being injured and don't know it. And the infection comes as a result of the injury. And the infection is what eventually kills them. And eats away at their body. I heard one account of a man who had leprosy and he went to sleep and the rats were eating his fingers, ate his fingers off. And he didn't even know it. He woke up and the rats had eaten his fingers off because he, he couldn't feel anything. He's lost the, the sense of, of feeling, of pain. So pain is a good thing. See, the, the, the ability to feel pain tells me you need to stop before you hurt yourself even worse. Did you know pain's a good thing? Everybody say a good thing. Well, sin is like leprosy. It starts out small. It goes unnoticed. It spreads. And if it goes untreated, and it goes untreated because you don't know that you have it. You don't feel the pain because the Bible says that sin is fun for a season. Are you hearing me? A lot of people that's in sin, they don't feel the, the sin. They don't feel it because it doesn't, it's not hurting anybody. I'm not hurting anybody. They don't feel the pain. And so it goes untreated because they have no sense of pain. And just like leprosy, it gets worse and worse until eventually it kills you. James 1.13 says, let no man be tempted. No man say when he's tempted, I'm tempted of God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempted the any man. But every man is tempted when he's drawn away of his own lust and enticed. And then when lust is conceived, it brings forth sin. And sin, when it is finished, it brings forth death. If this disease gets into your body, into your spirit, we will say, undetected, and it begins to spread through your body, and you don't know that it's there, therefore you don't treat it. It gets worse. It gets worse until eventually it will infect your whole body. And he says when sin is finished, it will kill you. Sin goes untreated because we don't feel pain. Conviction, church, is like pain. Conviction tells us that we need to stop before we go too far. Conviction, therefore, is a good thing. God convicted me this week, and I was thankful that he convicted me because that tells me two things. One, I'm his or he wouldn't have convicted me. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. I am yours and you care enough to convict me. Tells me something else. There's something going on in your spirit. And you need to stop and you need to stop now or it will kill you. Conviction is a good thing. 
So if there's no pain in your body, if you don't have the feeling in your body, there's something wrong with your body, brother. Amen? And church, hear me this, day, this morning. If there's no conviction in your heart, there's something wrong with your spirit. Here's the problem. We are all born in sin. In that opening text in Psalms 51.5, it says, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and sin. My mother conceived me. Romans 3.23 says, All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Now, when a person sins, when, when a person sins, they are just doing what's natural. We went to the family reunion yesterday. And sinners do what sinners do, don't they? That doesn't upset me at all. What, what I find, I don't know what the word is, confusing, is Christians get upset when sinners act like sinners. I get around a guy and he's dropping the F-bomb and the, and the S-bomb and the, I don't know, all the bombs. You know. He's a heathen. I don't expect him to do anything different. He's doing what heathens do. He's lost. He's got a dead spirit. He's, he's operating, speaking, acting, looking, smelling like the world that he is a part of. That's his spirit. That's his nature. You were born with a sinful nature. David said you were conceived in sin. You came from your mother's womb with that sin nature. And so when people act like that, it doesn't trouble me. But church, I got to tell you something. When Christians act like that, now I got a problem with that. And sometimes Christians, I, I, I told you, I work construction and I would get around guys and they'd be some of the dirtiest jokes on the job, always cussing and getting angry and throwing tools and this and that. And I'd bring up Christ. And, it, and that guy said, well, I'm a deacon in the church. <laughs> what? You, you're a what? I'm, I'm not kidding, guys. I'm telling you the gospel truth. I'm like, and there was more than one time. And then they want to get all religious around you, you know. And then next thing you know, they're over there telling another dirt. I'm like, we're born with that sinful nature. But church, when you are reborn, the Bible says you're given a new nature. It says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, therefore, if, everybody say if, if. if. Anyone is in Christ. He is a new crea creation. Yeah. Old things pass away. Behold, all things become new. So when, when I was born in sin, but when I came to Christ, I'm a supposed to have a new nature. The problem is for the past 100, over 100 years, the church has been guilty of preaching a man-made gospel. It's called life enhancement. Come to Jesus. He'll give you joy peace and lasting happiness. You know, and so and, and the, the, the church has gone to great lengths to, to train pastors how to move the congregation with sad stories and moving stories and stuff to bring them to a conclusion and get them to come to the altar and repeat this prayer after me. I'm a sinner. I'm a sinner. Jesus, come into my heart. Jesus, come into my heart. I give my life to you. I give my life to you. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Now you're part of the, you're part of the family. Hallelujah. Thank God. And the guy's standing there like, I am? Yeah, you said the prayer. And the guy goes back to his seat. He's like, I'm a part of the family. Man, he's excited. I'm a part of something good. Problem is, we have failed to tell them that there is a cost. Jesus said this in Mark chapter 8, verse 34. And when he called the people unto him with his disciples also, he said unto them, Whosoever will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. The church has been guilty of preaching the resurrection blessings without preaching the cross. Jesus didn't raise from the dead until he was crucified on a cross. Yeah. You can't know the blessings of the resurrection until you put this thing to death. Yeah. And we have failed to tell people there's a cost. 
You've got to deny what you want and take up the cross daily, the Bible says, and follow him. He goes on in 35, he says, For whosoever will save his life shall lose it, and whosoever shall lose his life for my sake in the gospels, the same shall save it. For what shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? Whosoever therefore shall be ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him also shall the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father and of his holy angels. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to call it churchgoers. I'm not going to say Christians. I'm going to say churchgoers. They're wooed to the altar and they say this prayer and they're like, whoop! Man, I'm excited, man. I'm, I'm accepted. I fit in. I've got a whole new group. Man, I belong to the church. Found a place where I can fit in, man. And they, and they get all excited because they belong to something now bigger than themselves. And they, they're accepted and got this whole new family, you know. The problem is there's no conviction. Nothing has changed in their nature. They're still going to the same places. They still look like the world, still act like the world, think like the world, talk like the world, get on the job, tell their dirty jokes, cuss like a sailor, get mad, unforgiving, unkind, unloving, all of these things. And then they say, oh, I'm a deacon of my church. Really? And, and, and I'm not standing in judgment. I'm just telling you what I observe, have observed in my 61 years on life. I've been in church all my life before I was even in in the world, I was in church. My mama carried me in her womb into the church. So I've been around this thing a while, and I've seen it. I'm not trying to be judgmental. I'm just telling you a fact. And it's a disease that is spreading through the church because there has been no change in the nature. And it's been the church's fault for preaching a man-made gospel. Paul said this in Romans 12, 1 and 2. I beseech you, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies as a living sacrifice. There's a cost. It needs to be holy. It needs to be acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be, be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. I want to read, I quote that a lot. Let me read that to you out of the New Living Translation. And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be a, let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world. Is everybody listening? Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world. But let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. Church, if we look like the world, if there's no conviction, if you think like the world and you're not convicted, if you talk like the world and you're not convicted, if you act like the world and you're not convicted, if you go the places that the, the world goes and you're not convicted, when, when you're listening to the things that the world is listening to and that doesn't bother you, There's something going on in your spirit. You are numb. You have no feeling. There is a leprosy, undetected, untreated, spreading through your spirit. And it is a dangerous thing. I know this is a hard word, church, but I'm doing what is right to help you be acceptable in the sight of God. This is a dangerous thing. If you're watching the same filth that the world is watching, and it does not bother you. Church, if there's no feeling in your body, there's something wrong with your body. 
If there's no conviction in your spirit, there's something wrong in your spirit. It's quiet in here. Say amen, somebody. Let me know you're not going to stone me after this is over. Psalms chapter 102. Where's Kathy? Wave at me, Kathy Page. You in the house? Kathy in here? Is Kathy here today? I didn't see her and Doug. What? Oh, they're, they're out of town. She, that, that lady has been, she's read most of the Bible by herself. She needs some help, guys. Come on. <laughs> Christy's jumped in there and helped her out because Kathy has been faithful to read this scripture because we're reading through the Bible in this new sanctuary. And I was going to tell her, Hunter wanted to adjust my mic. And so to do that, I got up here and I just saw where we were in, the, in our Bible reading and I just started reading. Well, it was around Psalms chapter 100, I think. I started reading, and I just read until he got this thing done. Well, I got to ch chapter 101, verse 2. It said this, I will behave myself wisely in a perfect way. Oh, when wilt thou come unto me? I will walk within my house with a perfect heart. I will set no wicked thing before mine eyes. I hate the work of them that turn aside. It shall not cleave to me. Now, I didn't say anything to Hunter. I just kept reading. But when I read that, I was convicted. I was convicted. And I said within myself, Bernie, go back and read that again. So I got home and I read it again. And I said, Lord, spiritual leprosy will do this to you. See, when you were in that bubble with God, that time in your life, you remember when it was just, wow, the presence and the glory was there. I hope everybody's had that experience. If you hadn't, I hope you get one. When you were in that period, that time period in your life, guys, when you were coming back from children's camp, you were fired up. Coming back from youth camp, man, you were fired up. You like, I'm going to make this last. There were things that you are watching right now that you wouldn't have watched then. Things you may be doing right now that you wouldn't have done then. And as I read that, I realized there was a time in my life. There's things that I set. The Bible, listen, there's things before your eyes all the time. But you didn't set them there. You know, the only way you can't look upon evil is you walk around like this all your life. Amen. Come on. Especially in the summertime when you go to Walmart. Amen. Come on. God help us. When you go to the beach, you better build sandcastles or just fish. That's what I do. And then sometimes they won't leave you alone. One year, I'm sitting there building a sandcastle, and here she walked up right there. Are you an architect? <laughs> Remember that? I'm like, Jeannie is going to kill me. I didn't do this. And God took a little extra time on that one, too, if you know what I mean. I mean, and she, she was beautiful, huh? Brother, if she saw me respond in any way, I would have been stoned on a sandy beach. She would have went and found rocks. I wasn't saying nothing. Like, go away. You know what I'm talking about. It's one thing for it to be there, but when you set it before your eyes, it's on your DVD cabinet, and you pull it out and plug it in. Huh? That's a different thing. And you're putting stuff in there that you wouldn't have done back in the day when you were in the bubble. What does that tell me? There's some leprosy going on in here. Some leprosy in my spirit. And if it goes untreated, it will spread and spread until I don't feel anything. The Bible says your conscience will be seared with a hot iron. You won't be convicted anymore. So I realized at that point, there's something else I need to nail to the cross. There's something else that needs to die here. So if being a part of the world doesn't bother you, you need to take a serious look at your spirit. You have spiritual leprosy going on. 
We should despise the things of the world. When I say the world, I'm talking about that fallen nature of Adam. Those, the, the, the insensitivity to evil. They run towards destruction with their fingers in there. They don't care. They don't feel the pain. 1 John 2, 15 and 17 says, Love not the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, the pride of life is not of the Father, but it's of the world. And the world is passing away in the lust of it. But he that does the will of God, everybody say, does the will. Not somebody that comes down and just says the prayer, no nature has changed, but somebody that's doing the things that God said because the nature has changed inside. I got feeling in my body. I got feeling in my spirit because my nature has changed. He says, that person will abide forever. Matthew 7, Jesus says, not everyone that says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he that does the will of the Father. Many will say to me that day, Lord, Lord, I've prophesied in your name. I've cast out demons in your name. I've done many wonders in your name. And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you practitioners of lawlessness. The church is full of people like this. And I'm not saying it's entirely their fault. They have been fed a man-made lie. There is no cost. Just come and say the prayer and everything is good. And spiritual leprosy is spreading through their body like wildfire. They have no feeling. They have no convictions. John chapter 8, verse 31, 32, it says, Jesus, Jesus said to the Jews which believed on him, if you continue in my word, then are ye my disciples. And ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. James 1, 22 says, be ye doers of the word, not hearers only deceiving yourself. Spiritual leprosy is in the church. I'm going to read one couple more scriptures here. Are you still with me? Am I reading too much Bible this morning? Second Timothy, I want you to turn there with me because you want to mark this. Verse 1, it says, This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come. I'm going to read that also in the New Living Translation. Perilous times. Because in the New Living Translation, it says difficult times. Now, I had to stop at that verse 1 and think for just a minute. This is Paul writing to Timothy. And he's talking about the last days. How many of you know we're in the last days, right? Paul is telling Timothy, in the last days, the day that you and I are living in, he says, difficult times will come. (laughs) I'm like, wait a minute. Do you know what Paul went through? Three times he was beaten. Let's see. Three times he was whipped with uh, 40 lashes, save one. That's when they tie your hands up on a pole where your tiptoes are just touching with your back raw and they beat you with a whip that rips your flesh to the bone. 39 lashes on three different occasions. Five times he was beaten with rods. A rod is designed to hit you so that it bruises you all the way to the bone. It takes months to heal from that. One time they stoned him and left him for dead. He was in peril in the sea. He was in peril of robbers. He was in peril of his own countrymen. He said, I fasted often. I was hungry often. And he says, we are going to have hard times. I'm like, what are you talking about? Anybody in here been stoned? Whipped, beaten with rods? Tread water out in the ocean? I had to wonder, what is he talking about? Well, let's read on. He says, in, in the New Living Translation, it says, you should know this, Timothy, that in the last days there will be very difficult times for people will be only, they will love only themselves. Why is it more, it's more troublesome now than then? Because people won't deny themselves. What did Jesus say? If you're going to come after me, you've got to deny yourself. You can't love yourself. But in the last days, they'll love only themselves. And he says, and their money. What did Jesus say? You can't serve two masters. You can't serve both God and mammon, meaning money. They will be boastful, proud, scoffers at God, 
disobedience to their parents. You know what the original sin was? People say, well, it was disobeying God in the garden. No, that wasn't the original sin. The original sin was rebellion against the authority of God. It was when Lucifer said, I will make my throne above God's throne. I will ascend to the north. I will be like God. It's when you rebel against authority. It says they'll be disobedient to parents, rebelling against authority. They'll be ungrateful. They will consider nothing sacred. Church, this, this is a sacred place. Are you hearing me, church? Come on now. We dedicated this to, to God. It's sacred. Now, we don't make a God out of it. We shouldn't make a God out of it. I told you this is a tool. But brother, I've got some nice tools in my shop. I don't want you borrowing them and leave them laying out in the rain. And when I get it back, it doesn't work because you didn't take care of it. You didn't respect it. We need to take care of our tools. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Keep the proper perspective, but it is sacred, and we should treat it with respect. And this is the kind of thing that slips in, and we don't see it. If we're not careful, we don't see it. They consider nothing sacred. They will be unloving and unforgiving. You say, well, we're not unforgiving. Yeah, unforgiving. You know, one of, the, one of the, the biggest problems that I have seen in churches is people getting offended with each other. And then they don't speak to each other. They don't see themselves as being unforgiving. But if you are easy to take offense and then you don't have anything to do with a person that offended you, you are unforgiving. You've got leprosy. In your spirit, and you don't even know it. It's spreading through your body, and you don't even know it. Because you've got no conviction. You don't feel the pain. Church, this is some good stuff I'm giving you here. It will help you if you get hold of it. They will slander others and have no self-control. The Bible calls it lasciviousness. Lasciviousness means without restraint. If I want to do it, I'm going to do it. I don't consider whether it's right or not or wrong or not. If God is for it or against it, I want to do it, so I'm going to do it. They don't restrain themselves to do what's right. They just do it because they want to. It feels good. They will be cruel and hate what is good. They will betray their friends and be reckless, be puffed up with pride. And they will love pleasure rather than loving God. You get an attitude. If it's not fun then I'm out. <laughs> and the church has been guilty of making it so cool that everybody will come. Now, I, I am a believer in the philosophy that you catch more flies with honey than you do with salt. All right? An old, wise old pastor taught me that years ago. So you have to make it fun. I'm not saying, I'm not trying to be a killjoy. And being cool is, is okay. But when it all becomes about being cool, and it all becomes about being fun. And we're not going to tell them like, you know, you really need to die to yourself. You know, you really need to deny yourself. You know, we're not going to tell them the truth because it won't be fun and we might not keep them. Or it won't be cool and we might not keep them. Then you're guilty of preaching a man-made gospel. You're letting leprosy spread through their body when you could do something about it, but you won't. Jesus, help us. What makes it worse than people... In Paul's days, is they, it says in verse 5, and they will act religious. I mean, 2 Timothy chapter 3. Are you still with me? Yeah. Getting mighty quiet. Don't go to sleep on me now. I'm not done yet. What time is it? Yeah. You don't care. All right. I just don't want to. I know that the mind can only take in what the seat can endure. I'll have you stand up and do some calisthenics here and wake up. Because you need to get this. And you get the CD. If you go to sleep, you can listen to it while you're driving down the road. You don't sleep then, I hope. Although I have woke up a lie uh, at my destination live a few times. What makes it worse than in Paul's day? He said it's difficult times in the last days. Verse 5, he tells you. Because they will act religious, but they will reject the power that could make them godly. Stay away from people like that. 
Paul's telling Timothy, they're going to act religious. Oh, I said the prayer. I'm doing all the works. I'm casting out demons. I'm prophesying. I'm doing all of these works, but they are not godly. They don't have conviction because they don't have a different nature. Friend, if you don't have conviction in your life, your nature is still under the curse. You're still living under the old nature if there's no conviction in your life. That's a, that, that should be a wake-up call. And so I thank God when I'm convicted. Jude chapter 3, and I think this, I've got two more scriptures and I'm going to close. Jude chapter 1, chapter 3. Jude only has one chapter. Jude chapter 1, verse 3. Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that you should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints, period. What he is saying is that when I wrote to you, what I really wanted to write to you is I want to write to you about the victory in Jesus. I want to write about heaven and all the blessings and the great things. And we should be contending for the faith. That's what I wanted to write. But he goes on in the next verse, and he tells him. Well, he tells him, I need to tell you, you got to contend for the faith instead is what he's saying. He says in verse 4, for there are certain men crept in unaware. What does leprosy do? It comes in. You don't even know it's there. It begins to spread. They crept in unaware who were before of old ordained to this condemnation, ungodly men, turning the grace of God into lasciviousness and denying the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. What is this? It's leprosy. They're taking the grace of God. Come and say this prayer. God is going to save you and everything. But... You don't have to change anything. You don't have to have restraints. Lascivious means without restraints. You don't have to have restraints. Nothing really changes. And they're taking the grace of God and making a man-made gospel and telling you, come to Jesus. He'll give you peace and joy and lasting happiness. What a deal. Without telling you that there's a cost to pay. Now, if somebody came into this church and they're denying the Lord Jesus Christ, would they creep in unaware? If somebody came in here and denied Jesus Christ, I think that would be pretty obvious that they're here and what they're up to. So you have to ask, how do people creep in unaware denying the Lord Jesus Christ? For the answer, we go to Paul's letter to Titus in chapter 1, verse 15, and he says this. Unto the pure, all things are pure, and unto them that are defiled... And unbelieving is nothing pure. But even their mind and conscience is defiled. They profess that they know God. But in works, they deny him. Are you hearing that, church? I've prophesied in your name. I've cast out demons. I know you. But their life has no conviction. They're living under the old nature. Their works, what they do. Do you know something? You can say this and say that and say the other things, but your life preaches a much louder word than your mouth does. And their works is shouting them down. They deny him, being abominable and disobedient, and to every good work reprobate. That means they're not useful for any good thing. It's leprosy. <clears throat> Eternity hinges on the new birth. And if you're wrong in this church, you're wrong for eternity. Conviction to the believer is our spiritual nerve. It assures me that I have been giving into the old nature and that I need, to, I need to do something about this. Now, the good news is this. There is a cure. Aren't you glad there's a cure? For, there is a cure for leprosy nowadays. I thank God for that. And I Google it. What is the cure for leprosy? Because as I, God gave me this word, and I, as I was putting it together, I was like, well, I don't leave people that are like, you got leprosy, it's going to get you, you know, and they walk out the door with that. My Lord, what kind of hope is that? I'm like, God, I got to give them some hope. 
The hope is there is a cure for leprosy. Aren't you glad of that? Well, there's a cure for spiritual leprosy. So I Googled it. I was like, you know, there's got to be some parallels here. So I went on Wikipedia, and it says, number one, treat it as soon as possible. Once you recognize it's there, deal with it. Man, I walked into church the other day, and I was like, it's been bothering me all week. I was, I was so detached last week. Lord, it's like I always have, seem to have a feel of the, of the sermon of what's going on. Sometimes I walk into a service and I can feel a resistance, you know, and, and, and it's, sometimes it's, I bring it in. I can bring in a resistance. Sometimes you bring it in. Sometimes people have been around sinful things or whatever, and you get around a campfire, you smell like smoke. Are you hearing me? You wallow around with a stinking dead dog, you're going to smell like a stinking dead dog. You walk around with a wet dog, you smell like a wet dog. Anybody got a dog and you pet it and you go, whew, you got to go wash your hands. Come on, you know what I'm talking about? Well, if you get in sin all week and you come to the church, what you bringing into the church with you? Huh? You know why there was such a revival at Brownsville and Toronto and in Argentina and the Great Awakening and all those things? You know why? It was because all week long people were hungry and they were seeking God and they were in the presence and they brought that into the sanctuary with them. And so I've, I've, I have a sense of the feel. Sometimes I've, I've realized there's a barrier, there's a, there's a hindrance and something. And I, kind of, a lot of times during worship, I'm praying. And I'm praying in the spirit and I'm taking authority and our prayer team meets before service and they pull down those strongholds and those things that puts up walls and barriers and we take authority over those things. And I have a sense of that, but it was missing. And I walked in here, I was like, God, that bothers me. I, what, what was, what's wrong? Why didn't, why, I don't like feeling this way. And God says, you have drifted from me. Spiritual leprosy. And brother, when I started seeing the symptoms... Right here, God, creating me a clean heart, renew a right spirit in me. I'm sorry, God, I I didn't mean to. And and God, he's so loving and merciful. Boy, we don't deserve his love. He's like, sorry, Bernie, I know. And the healing sad, boy, he just puts it right there. What does he do? He blots out my transgression. He blots it out. You might remember it, but he doesn't. Amen? Treat it as soon as possible. Take care not to spread it to others. That's Wikipedia. It says if you've got it, take care that you don't spread it to others. Right? You know how the best way not to spread it to others? Get it off of you. Right? I can come up and give somebody a big old hug. You know what? They ain't going to get leprosy from me because I don't have it. That's how you take care not to spread it to others. Don't have it on you. <laughs> that makes sense to me now. I don't know. I'm simple-minded. Number three, seek counsel from the doctor. <laughs> you got leprosy. Make, you know, deal with it as soon as you can. Don't spread it to anybody else. Go to the doctor. What do you do? Hit your knees and say, Dr. Jesus, I got something going on in my spirit here, and it's not good. I should be feeling this, but I just smashed my finger, and I don't feel a thing. What's wrong with me? Huh? I just cut myself. I just watched a filthy movie and it didn't bother me at all. I just told a dirty joke and it didn't bother me. Usually that would convict me or I didn't. I'm not saying that I did those things. I'm going to give you some examples here. <laughs> Don't go out and say, Pastor, telling dirty jokes, watching dirty movies. <laughs> that was an example. You ought to try this. Boy, you can get yourself in trouble quick. What do you do? You hit your knees and you go see the doctor. Then it says, take the medicine. Because there is a multiple, actually there's no one medicine that will cure it, but it's actually three main medicines they give you and strong antibiotics to to cure leprosy. It says that you can't take just one, you got to take all of it. There's a picture there. You can't pick and choose. You got to take it all. Because it said, no one of these will cure leprosy. You have to take them all, and you got to take them all together. Oh, can you see this? You can't pick and choose. That's why we are a full gospel church. you got to take all of it. You can't just take the bless me part. 
You can't take the I'm a dirty old worm and God don't love me part. There's a balance in here somewhere. You got to take all of it in balance. Amen. Take the medicine. I put in lots of it. Because I realize when I start drifting away from God, you know where I've drifted? Right here. Right here, brother. I'm not spending enough time right here. Because every time I sit down and read this, it blesses me, brother. It feeds me. Mm -mm 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 -mm. I started to preach on spiritual health this morning. Maybe I'll get on that later. Uh, Treat any new outbreak immediately. That's when we need to be vigilant. Brother, I got this thing out of my system, and the first sign of it showing up again, I'm jumping on it. I don't want that mess on me anymore. I don't ever, man, I don't like feeling distant from God. How about you? Man, I want to be in his presence. Continue to consult the doctor. This is, I'm like, that is so good. Continue to consult the doctor. Monitor any side effects. What is that telling me? Be sober. Be vigilant. Because your adversary, the devil, is roaming around seeking whom he may devour. Monitor. Yep. I'm looking good. I feel that. I feel that. Huh? Sensitivity to the things of the Spirit. Amen. Amen. I'm through yelling at you. You can stand up. If you would, please stand with me. Thank you for listening to this message. We hope you are blessed and encouraged by it. Central Virginia Assembly of God is located on 5052 Cross County Road, Mineral Virginia, 23117. If you would like more information about the church, visit us at centralvaag.org or call 804-514-2413. We would love to hear from you. God bless.